Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Michigan State at Iowa. Marco, what should betters be looking at? What betters should be looking at is beware of the trap. This game, when I saw the lines this week, this jumped off the page at me. This is a trap game, and I'll explain why in this, in this video. So it's a trap game. Who do they want you to bet? Vegas is begging you to bet Michigan State in this game. And you don't, you don't do what Vegas wants. I, no, I want to be on the same side as Vegas because they do pretty good. So, so traps are one of the things I think you may be the best guy on the planet identifying. So let's, break, let's call this the anatomy of a trap. What is it that makes it trappy? Well, first off, you've got Michigan State is undefeated. So they're, you know, their stock is good. It's solid. They had a little bit of a scare last week, they, you know, which was understandable. And when we did last week's video, I pointed out, as well on my personal video that I do on the weekends for, on my homepage, this was a sandwich game for was that a pl- Was that a plug? We didn't endorse that. Well, so I- let's just get it out. MarcoDiangelo.com, you do a late-breaking video Friday night. And Saturday night. Yes, I do. Now let's get on to the the Let's get on to it. Well, Michigan State last week was in a bad spot coming off of two big games and then homecoming game and then played on the road at Northwestern and then had this Iowa game up this week. Definitely looking ahead to Iowa. So you're saying Michigan State was in a flat spot. The fact that they won the game separates them from many teams that's been in flat spots. So you don't look at it as a big negative. No. So their stock is still perfect. I agree. Iowa comes off a loss last week that really hurts their stock. They lost to Wisconsin last week. Now, I've got two questions for you. Wisconsin and Michigan State, who's the favorite on a neutral field? I'd like to play this game with you. Oh, Wisconsin and Michigan State? I would have to say right now Michigan State. Absolutely, because one, they already played this year, and Michigan State beat Wisconsin. All right, so agreed. Go ahead. All right, how then can Iowa who just lost last week to Wisconsin, a team that Michigan State's already beaten, how can Iowa be laying more to the undefeated Michigan State Spartans? Okay, so, so what you're saying, and that's a great point, so let's think about this a second. You're saying that um, Wisconsin, Michigan State's better than Wisconsin. You're saying now Iowa's proven themselves right now to be less good than we thought they were entering the Wisconsin game because they were favored and they lost. But now, so you've got the better team with an Iowa's team whose stock is down laying more at six and a half than they were last week. Agreed 100%. So I'm thinking as a value better, I love the value. Now right. you're it, thinking what? I'm thinking trap, and absolutely. And, this is, and what makes it even better is last week the public was all over Iowa. I mean, when we did the videos last week, that's one of the videos that got a lot of talk with the Wisconsin-Iowa. Everybody was on Iowa. Nobody wanted Wisconsin. They expected Wisconsin to be flat after upset in Ohio State. You know, all the purists. And now, there are all those people that had Iowa last week. They're going to be jumping the fence and going to Michigan State. And now I'm switching in the back door, and I'm going to be playing Iowa. And I'm going to be playing Iowa pretty strong this week. So you switch... And you like the back door. Wow. Ah, okay. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I just, I'm just listening. That's yeah, all yeah. I'm doing. All right. Let me give you some stats. Maybe try to talk you out of this because I actually 
Um, well, you know, I don't like Iowa here because I don't think that there's a lot of value. But but I might smell a five hundred dollar bet, viewers. No, you know, actually, <laughs> more I think about this. To me, this is a very solid pass because one, I actually would like if this line was what it should be, which let's you know three and a half maybe is yeah. what three and a half four tops is where I, this should. I be. probably like Iowa pretty hard at three and a half and four. And let me give you some reasons why. Iowa has won four straight against Michigan State, so that's a reasonably short period of time. But still, four straight. If if you know when a high state beats Michigan four straight times, it means something. This means something, and that's ATS. Iowa, I, you know, the Iowa coach is well regarded. 13 of 16 ATS, so 13 and 3, off an ATS loss. So by definition, an ATS, ATS loss means they underperformed, and he seems to be able to turn them around, you know, 13 and 3. And lastly, 16 of 22 in this series have been decided by a touchdown or less. So to me, getting 6.5 means I'm on the right side of a, a hard-fought rivalry close series. All right, so now that tells me or if I'm taking the six-and-a-half. So to me, at three, three-and-a-half, I love Iowa. I see your point. They are trying to induce you, it seems, to bat Michigan State. But, boy, I, I, it strikes me that you're giving away too many points with Iowa. And that's always my concern with your – I, I love your trap concept, and for anything, for me, it keeps me off those games. But, I mean, let's go back to the San Diego Patriots, which was your first loser and the best bet. Is to, and to me, when it went down to two and a half, it made a lot more sense, which on game day, that's what most mm-hmm. people got. But at some point, when they're begging you to take a side, that means there's really value there, right? Or, or, or the, at least there's a, a heavy tariff being placed on the other team to induce you to play the team that you think they're trying to trap you into. How do you balance identifying what Vegas wants, which you do amazingly well, with the fact you're paying a steep price to go against what Vegas wants? Well, in this game here, you know, I, there's not a set rule of how I do it, but looking further in this game, I'll tell you one thing. Michigan State is undefeated this year, but they have not played a team as complete as Iowa. Iowa has a good offense. They're a balanced offense. They run and pass the ball. They have a solid defense. The big teams that they've beaten, when they played Michigan, okay, that's one of their marquee wins, Michigan State. Michigan is one-dimensional. They've got all offense, no defense. You know, they weren't a physical team. Iowa's a physical team. When they played Notre Dame, Michigan State struggled with Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was able to play smash mouth football with them. I think Iowa's going to take it to Michigan State. Michigan State beat Notre Dame, right? By three points. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's just... All right, let me ask you this question. In overtime on a fake field goal. Let me ask, let me ask you this question. It caused a heart attack. It did. <laughs> it was a close game. It caused a heart attack. All right. Let me ask you this question. We always talk about, not so much this year, we talk about true lines and fair lines. Okay? And what a fair line is, it's going to split the action. All right. It, people look at it and say, that's fair. You're saying this is not a fair line. A fair line would be four. Mm-hmm. That would split the action. The fact that it's six and a half means you're going to get disproportionate action on Michigan State. Now, what is the true line on this game? Because for what it needs to be for this to be a good bet at six and a half it needs to be eight and a half or nine, or yeah, well, because you're going through seven. Let's say eight and a half. If the if the fair or if the true line is eight and a half, 
Now, you're giving me why Michigan State's way overrated. You're giving me, and I could accept if you tell me that the fair line is four and the true line's eight and a half, and thus I wish it was four, but really I'm going to play it because I'm still getting that two and a half or two points of value through seven. What is the true line on this? The true line That's on... going to split the result 50-50. Well, to me, the, the line that would split it 50-50 is the four. No, it's going to split the results 50-50. Meaning if this game was played a thousand times, what line would make it where half the time Michigan State covered and half the time Iowa covered? By my handicapping numbers, I have Iowa better than a touchdown in this game. Okay, so you're saying then your true line here is eight, eight and a half. Mm-hmm. And thus you're getting two points through seven. Right. Uh, it, I'll throw one more handy. I'm going to give the whole gauntlet of my theories on this game, right. too. You've heard me talk about the teaser theory a lot, where you, you take a game and you look at it, and if one side absolutely so looks like... So you tease like, it both ways. Does one look really attractive? If so, they've probably made it attractive to trap you. Go ahead. And again, if you look at this, if you tease Iowa to pick or you tease Michigan State to 13-and-a-half. There's a lot of people, because Michigan State's undefeated, would buy in t- that Iowa could get beat, but how many people really think Iowa's going to blow out this Michigan State team? Good point. All right, so what's your... Now, this isn't your best bet, is it? It's not my best bet. So I talked like a lot. you this game pretty strong. Give us your official projection. 31-20, Iowa. 31-20, Iowa. All right, sounds good. Good conversation, Marco. Next up, all right, well, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking more Saturday college football. We got Auburn at Mississippi. Auburn at Mississippi. This is my best bet free video of the week. But first, Marco, what should betters be looking at? You can maybe suggest and I'll tell them. You got it. Well, to me, this is a perfect flat spot for Auburn coming off the last two weeks, and especially last week's game against another undefeated team, LSU. They're ripe for a letdown. They leapfrogged in the BCS polls to number one, and we know what that's been like the last three weeks. Agreed. All right, so I agree with you, letdown spot for Auburn. I also think, as as you talk about, to use your terminology, that Auburn's at an all-time high in perception. All right, so you just like stocks. You want to sell when they're high and buy when they're low. Actually, this is what I'm going to call my trend play of the month because it's really driven by the motivational stuff, the perception stuff, but there's a lot of trends here and a little bit beyond the normal stuff. All right, so I'm going to start down the list. Auburn's 2-9 and nine ATS on the road. So this is the last, you know, 11 games on the roads, what, two, year, two full seasons about of road games. They just don't win on the road. As a fact, they underperform. And just because they're good this year is not going to change that. And some of these games clearly were this year. Number two, Mississippi has won, covered seven of eight against Auburn. So this is a situation where you know they play often. One team uh, often going to be the dog against Auburn is just playing closer games, occasional upsets, seven of eight. So I got an Auburn team that's bad on the road. Let's let's just line this up. You know, if we have a pro and con. Mm-hmm. Auburn's at an all-time high. We want to fade that. They're in a likely flat spot off the big win. They don't play well on the road. They don't play well against Mississippi. All right. Now, Mississippi has won 9 of 11 as a dog. So now we're saying Mississippi plays well when they're not expected to win a game. All right. So I like that. Now, 
Here's one that I had to dig a little deeper for. The coach of Mississippi, Nutt, N-U-T-T, has covered eight straight against top ten teams. So not only does Mississippi as a team do well as a dog, that Coach Nutt does exceptionally well against the super marquee teams, the top ten. All right. Now, are you being – it's almost like you're, you're – I'm stuck. in awe. It's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> and lastly, Auburn has played – this is going to be their ninth straight week, no buys. So it kind of, and maybe we should have brought that up earlier, is, again, is off a big win. They're gonna, and now they're tired. This is a team that hasn't had a bye the entire season. And if they're ever going to take a breath, it might be now. When you're getting the touch, and again, you're laying the touchdown on the road, you don't need to win by a touchdown. I see great value. In fact, if I haven't already had my game of the year, which one? Is I might this would be a candidate. I, I love but it. But your game of the year was in the NFL. You could have a college. Oh, you could have a college. You know that's true. That's that thirty-one years in the business. <laughs> I all joking aside, it, it seems to set up as almost a perfect play. Is there anything contrary you see? There's nothing contrary, but I'm going to give you a couple more points that'll support you. You know, because that's what I'm here that's for. What I'm, I'm here. To, I'm here to make him look good. But uh, and it's a job sometimes. <laughs> the Auburn. That's a good point about playing nine straight weeks. But to add to that, their most physical game that they played on the entire schedule so far was last week's game. So a team that's played eight straight weeks and playing their ninth, they're going to feel it the most. Almost off- like that Steelers and, and right. Ravens effect in the NFL. Absolutely. LSU is a physical defensive good team. Point. Also, Auburn, they are 8-0. But five of their eight games this year has gone to the fourth quarter final possession deciding the game, either holding off the team mm-hmm. from scoring or them scoring on the final So you're possession. saying it might be a little bit of a fraud as a number one team. It's, it's their defense is their This could easily hit. have two losses and be the 15th best team. Absolutely. And you do, back to the whole perception thing, you've got their quarterback that's getting talked that he's better than Bo Jackson now. And, and, and again, people love offense. And they are, the public likes to back offense. Yeah. Early in the year, Denard Robinson was the front runner to the Heisman. Cam Newton definitely, to me, is the front runner right now. Anything else? I'd expect a high-scoring game in this one too. All right, so I'm going to make my official best bet for the week on or on Mississippi getting the touchdown. And now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be looking at our last college game. We're looking at Oregon at USC. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. Oregon at USC. Marco, what should batters be looking at? I'm looking at this Oregon team, RJ, and I just feel they're going to be slightly distracted trying to impress the pollsters. Last week, if you watched the Thursday night game, they never took their foot off the gas. they blown out UCLA. And I think, you know, they were the number one team in the AP, but the first BCS ranking came out and Oklahoma was number one. Now they win a game, you know, 60 to 13, and they're still not the number one in the BCS. So it's like, in their minds, they got to be thinking, what do we got to do, you know, to get the respect from everybody? And I understand that it, the BCS is a computer formula. So, you know, you're not really, you can't impress. But, uh, all right, so what you're saying is they're, they know style points matter. It seems clear to you against UCLA that they had style points on their mind. 
it still hasn't put them over the mountaintop. Thus, they're going to be fixated on style points again in a game where they might need to stay fundamentally focused to win. Absolutely. And, you know, you, just before we went on air, you brought up a good analogy with that, you know, that sometimes when you're focusing on trying to strip the ball from a player instead of tackling him, what ends up happening is the guy breaks it for a big gain. And I think that's what can happen to this Oregon team in this game. If they're more concerned about pounding Southern Cal rather than worrying about just beating them, they can end up getting ambushed and getting beat in this game. And uh, one thing I'm going to point out and remember Southern Cal's playing well right now. Nobody thought they were going to play this well this season. They've only had two close losses. They, and, and how different would this line be if they had won those two games and both teams were undefeated? Uh, absolutely. And remember, and motivational, I guarantee you, this is Southern Cal's bowl game Saturday at home, national TV well, against point. the undefeated it's... number one team AP-wise. This is their bowl game. All right, so... The fact they're getting seven in some spots right now um, is historic. This is the first time they've been a home dog since 2001. First time they've been a home dog seven points or more since 1997. So 13 years since they were getting a touchdown at home. Now, actually, pregame.com did that reporting, and we got picked up by AP on that. And uh, Ralph Russo is the writer there. And if you got, he actually does some good recaps, and he's a friend of pregame. So I would highly recommend his typical recaps or his uh, weekly um, previews and stuff. But he carried that with AP, and it's really historic stuff. So, okay, both teams had a bye. Both teams are good off a of bye, Oregon 9-2 and two ATS, USC 12-4. and four. Now, I know coaches have changed and all that, but how do you handicap buys typically? Is it just as simple as good coaches with a bye, it's a big advantage? Fair coaches or bad coaches, not so much? Is that the way you look at it? Coach is definitely preparation. Anytime, you know, the better the coach, the better prepared they're going to be. I also like... Um, it's more in the NFL when teams go into the bye week. Whenever they're not playing well, they're going to come out of the bye week, I think, more focused because you've got more things to fix than when you go in when things are going well. It can be a momentum stopper. That's one concern I would have with USC. Now, let's think about this, though. Um, USC truly had the week off, right? But Oregon played the prior Thursday. Right, so they just have 10 days. So the computers generate that as a bye, but in truth, it's, it's not really a bye. Correct. But um, Oregon actually had a bye the week before, so really this is their first game in, in like 21, or their second game in 21 days. All right, so I say that's a wash. Another thing that, you know, as I said about this being uh, USC's bowl game, look at it this way. We've got a new coach at Southern Cal, and uh, Kiffin, when he was at Tennessee, he was very vocal, spoke his mind, and you know how he got all the problems with him and uh, Urban Meyer and that. What better way to start your legacy at Southern Cal than to pull a monumental upset like this? All right, so USC is going to be hyper-motivated. I agree. The question is, is Oregon just too good? Give us your official projection. I like Southern Cal plus the points here. I, I really think this Oregon team is going to be so fixated on us. You know, it's like us against the world. We're not getting our respect that they're going to, forget what matters here. And this Southern Cal team has been flying under the radar. They're playing better than people expected them this year. And that home crowd, a Fisher dog. Projection. I have Oregon surviving 43-40. 
All right, that sounds good. To me, the thing that, that I think you make great points, actually, about the fact that USC is, is motivated here, maybe a little underrated, I actually think, too, that Oregon is at their height. And that's kind of the theme this week is selling high and buying low. And after Oregon dominating on national TV and with offense again, and that's another theme is the public loves offense. It's hard to imagine that anyone is, any team is in higher regard, held in higher regard by the public, and you've got a USC team that, that, that struggled against Hawaii, a couple struggles, a couple close losses, and people think they're nothing like they were, but in truth, they're, they're a couple plays away from being undefeated. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're moving to the biggest NFL games and Marco's best bet of the week. Vikings at Patriots, and this is Marco's best bet of the week. He's 7-1 and one on those best bets right here for free. Marco, what you better be looking at? Well, obviously the question is Brett Favre and have these Minnesota Vikings quit after the loss last week at Green Bay. I say no, and I also say I hope they bench Favre, sit him with the injury. We won't know till later in the week for sure, but I like this play either way, Favre or no Favre, but I like it better without Favre. All right, so this is your best bet. What, so what's behind it? You're, what I'm hearing is you like Vikings. Why? Well, this is as much a play against New England as it is with Minnesota. And again, we are 7-1 and one with the best bet. That one loss came last week when we had San Diego against New England. And again, you know, don't want to talk a bad beat like in poker, but the San Diego game was a bad beat last week. They outgained New England three... What does this have to do with that? This team, New England so you're is saying not New as England's good. overrated. New England's overrated. Their, right. their offense struggled last week. First of all, nobody's going to confuse the San Diego Charger defense with the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. They held New England last week to 179 yards. But I guess this is my constant debate with the Cowboys backers, which I think we've seen how that goes, and the Chargers backers, which is this isn't fantasy sports. This isn't uh, draft the guy that, that can run the fastest. I mean, for a Steelers fan, this is what throws me, is Steelers usually, a guy like Holmes, everyone's talking about their wide, former wide receiver. Everyone's like, oh, the Jets are going to win it this year because they got Holmes. Pittsburgh sent him packing because we don't deal with that BS. The Jets do, and I guess we'll see how it turns out. The Chargers are renowned to put up with anything as long as you have talent. They draft that way. The Bengals draft that way. The Cowboys draft that way. Have you seen three underperformers this year? Isn't that the top three underperformers in the league? How, at what point are you going to say Belichick's way, the guy, a coach that goes 11-5 and five with a backup quarterback a couple years ago, where is that accounted for in here? Oh, there's, there's no question. When it comes to fundamentals, a coach like Belichick, his team is prepared every week. They don't do what the San Diego Chargers did last week. Uh, uh, early in the game, driving, the guy catches the ball, rookie. His first NFL catch, he's so happy, caught it on a dive. Nobody touched him. He gets up and, you know, celebrate and throws the ball on the ground. San Diego, or New England guy picks it up and starts running the other direction. That epitomizes what makes New England good and what makes these teams like the Chargers bad. So I, I just think it's... it's it, 
handicappers have to be careful. And again, you're a sophisticated guy, 31 years. You're not falling in this trap, but you can't just look at the yards and look at how many all pros a team have and handicap that way. I'm looking at this game. I'm looking at the Minnesota Vikings that even with all of the distractions they've had with Brett Favre, the poor performances they've had with Brett with the turnovers in the last few weeks, this is a team that has been in every single ball game this year. Their largest defeat was nine points, and that nine-point defeat came on a pick six in the final minute that made it a nine-point margin. So I agree with you. Minnesota is probably underrated, and New England is probably properly rated. I don't think they're, they're, they're significantly overrated, but, I mean, honestly, seven's a big number here. So if this is a value play, which I hear you, that's what I'm hearing. I tend to like what you're saying. Now, here's the question, and I did a video, an actual webcam on this a while back. Whenever you have uncertainty at quarterback or a key position, is what they do is they make two lines. They say, okay, the line would be maybe it'd be nine without Favre and six with Favre or some variation of that. Then they say, what's the percentage Favre is going to play, what the percentage he isn't, and then they put it somewhere in between those extremes based on that percentage. If it's 50-50, they put it right in the middle, et cetera, et cetera. So in your mind, at this number of seven, what do you think that their expectations are of him playing? In my opinion, they don't expect him to play at seven. So you think that if we right now they announce Favre isn't going to play, this line doesn't move? It, you might get a public rush to seven and you a half. You might? I think they've got ahead of this. I think Vegas is smart. You know, Favre wants to play only because of the record. If his record wasn't... How do you know this? All you have to do you is You just watch hate Favre. I do hate Favre. So, but you're, let's you're, not let that obscure our handicapping. Is My question is this. How many points is Favre worth? In this, probably three points. Three points. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you think Favre is worth three. And so the line was four, and it's now it opened four. It's now right. seven. So you think they've made four adjustments saying Favre isn't playing. Right. He's going to need a miracle worker to play on Sunday. And you might, and I really would be disappointed in Childress if he just starts Favre for a token series. But, does, but that doesn't have anything to do with the game, right? It, it, it does or doesn't. So here's the question, and you're handicapping this Vikings plus seven with the backup quarterback. With the backup quarterback. And you I see value he, there. I think he gives them a better chance to win. First of all, they're going to rely heavily on... Have you watched Favre play in the last three Absolutely. weeks? Absolutely. He's been horrible. This is the guy that you're saying is kept every, kept every game close except one. But he is blown. Right. They would have won all of those games if he wouldn't have been given the ball away, like, you know, passing so why, out why, Halloween Why are candy. they paying him $20 million? Why are they sending Jets down to talk him into playing? I mean, do you ever think, wait a minute, the Vikings watch him day in and day out. They're watching the 22-man film. They understand this game. You understand handicapping better than them, but they understand who's a good quarterback or not. If you you watch Childress's post-game press conference last week after the Green Bay game Sunday night, if you'd ask him right now, I'll bet you he regrets sending those guys down to Mississippi uh, in August. Really. He's, he's had enough. This is a guy that's really, you know, he, he's been on the Brett bandwagon. He's been his supporter. But Brett is I, We don't need all this psychology. So let's just drill down. You're handicapping this with the backup quarterback plus seven, and you think there's great value. What do you think the line should be? I, What's seven's the true line where, on seven this? is is a good number. It's a fair number. 
I think they can go into New England and beat New England. All right, so you think the line should be three? I what's, like, what's the, we, again, we talk about true line and fair line. I totally get that the fair line is going to split the action, and you're saying seven with the backup quarterbacks, the fair line. I actually disagree. I think it would be eight and a half or nine, but we'll see on that. New England's not that good this year to be I, eight. Well, I'm not saying it should or shouldn't be. I'm saying that's what the public would demand. Mm-hmm. Before I don't think the public is betting Vikings with a backup quarterback getting le- a touchdown or less. I think they need more. They might need 10. I guess we'll see on that. But I totally get what you're saying about the fair line. What's the true line? With a backup quarterback, what line splits this result 50-50 if it was played 1,000 times? To me, I, seven, seven and a half, I think, is fair. So where's the value? The value for me is in the handicap of the game. I'm handicapping Minnesota versus New England. I don't think New England is seven points better than this team, regardless which okay, guy's then, a quarterback. Okay, then you're misunderstanding my question, so let's double back. I'm asking, what is the true line? What line is going to split the result? So you're saying you don't think they're seven points better. That seven would skew the result to the Vikings. What line would split the four, result? Four and a half, I think. Would this, this With the backup quarterback, the Vikings are a point and a half worse than New England. Yes. All right. Well, so you're taking, that's what handicapping is all about, is you're taking a real contrarian stand. Most people would think that's nuts, and you're saying that's how I see the game. So dig into the nuts. Do you have, what else other than Motivational, the, we've, got, we've got an edge with Minnesota because of Randy Moss. You got Randy Moss that's going to be in meetings this week, both sides coordinators, offensive and defensive. He's going to tell them the offenses, the, the schemes that they run. Now, Belichick's going to be smart enough to make some changes this week, but still, it's going to be an edge for New England. You also got the fact that Randy Moss has a major chip on his shoulder. He feels he was slighted when he left. I like taking that angry player that's got something to prove when he goes into New England this week. Now, granted, Belichick's got something to prove, too, because he wants to prove that, you know, he made the right decision that they can win without him. But when I or look, he could rattle his three rings. He could rattle his three rings, but it's true. But when I see a team that only had 179 yards against the San Diego Charger defense, that tells me this offense got problems. All right, and you might be right. They, they've... Because it's really been something that falls into one of your pet theories, which I love, is that the first week after a loss, after a player loss, so it might be injury, it might be trade, it might be suspension, whatever, is the team rallies around, they step up, and typically that can happen a week, maybe two, but it's hard to maintain. So it strikes me that all of a sudden now, once the patch traded Moss, everyone said they gave up on this year, now I'm hearing people say they're one of the top two or three teams in football. Two wins later, and it strikes me that, that, that New England, the, the fact they lost Moss is not being accounted for at all, and I'm not so sure that, that they're not overrated, like you say, a little bit. Right, and if you honestly, and I, this is conversation, but if you look at the last two games that New England's won that now has risen their stock, so to speak, they beat Baltimore. They were down 10 points in the fourth quarter. Great. Then they went to San Diego and I told you all of the things that happened yeah, agreed, in that game. Agreed. Now, actually, the Pats have the one loss. They've been outgained in three games. So it, it, you're right. It's fundamentals and winning close games versus ability, you know, each play rep-wise to gain yards. The Pats are probably a little overrated. 
But again, Belichick, and again, I'd rather be getting seven, figuring the Pats might squeak it out because of those fundamentals. Usually you don't win a game by 14 or 17 because of fundamentals. Now, another thing is I, that tends to make me, though, look at the other side, and, and let me back up. Your point about Moss, I think, motivationally, if he's, if he's had a... Um, if he's connected with his teammates in Minnesota, they're going to want to step up for him, too. And, again, I don't know that dynamic at this point. But Minnie is bad on the road. They've only covered one of seven on the road. And I think it's a situation where that home field we talked about last week is really strong. And people uh, are not used to there being such a disparity between home and road But I think in the NFL anymore. But I think that Minnesota really does have that. I agree with you. Any team that plays in a dome, it's a different Totally different situation playing outdoors. And it's their third road game in, in four weeks. They've had a lot of big games. This team might just be tired. This might be one of those games, almost like the Cowboys against the Giants, where everyone thought it's going to be their last stand. But in truth, they already had made their last stand. I agree that's a good point. But if, we, if I am correct and it's going to be Jackson going, that's the one thing that will get the team rallied around. Because you've got the injured player theory. And at this point... If you know nobody will admit it, but I really do believe a lot of the Packer guy or Packer guys, Viking players, got to be tired of the of the Favre show too, and they'll really get up for Jackson in this game. Wow, I see. I, I see it as oh my God, our, our, the reason we had a chance at the Super Bowl is gone. But but who knows? Again, there's a lot of psychology going on here for sure. Now you can check out pregamewire.com. And uh, what we have there is late-breaking, up-to-the-minute injury information. So when it comes to Favre's official announcement, uh, or not Favre's necessarily, but the teams on his status, pregamewire.com is going to give you the breaking stuff. Let me make one suggestion before, and we're running out of time, before you make your official pick. If you do like many here, wait. Because if... if, if if the backup does play, the line's going to go up over or The odds are better than it going up over seven than it is going below seven. Absolutely. So if, if you're making this handicap on hoping the backup plays, then if whoever's following you should be agreeing with you, then wait later. You're probably going to get more in a touchdown if it falls your way. Now, if Favre actually plays, do you say no player? You're playing either way. I'm still going to play the game, and the reason for that, R.J., is Favre is going to be on a short leash. He's not going to be that gunslinger mentality, which is a benefit because that's what's hurt him. That's a good point. Give us quickly your official projection. I've got Minnesota 24-23 outright. And this is your best bet, My and you're 7-1 and one right now. Absolutely. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be breaking down for the first time this year the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, and they're going to New Orleans. For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit pregamelines.com. Steelers at Saints. This is Sunday night football, Halloween night. Marco, you're known as a Pittsburgh guy. What? Tell us something about this Steeler team coming into this game that the average handicapper is going to miss. Well, first off, I want to tell you that it is Halloween night, Sunday night, New Orleans. I heard a rumor that the Saints, they're dressing up. They're coming as the defending Super Bowl champs, and nobody will recognize <laughs> now, them. Now, I should tell the, the, the viewers out there, for the first time this entire year, we actually did a second take coming in. We actually have gone live on every take, but there was a mistake that I made. We, we did a second take, and actually, Marco did that joke the first time, 
and everyone groaned. And I got to give you credit. You're a man of your conviction. Because everyone else would have not tried that joke again. <laughs> but you said, I'm sticking to it. Yeah. All right. So as a Pittsburgh guy, what are handicappers going to miss? One factor about this game. Well, last week, even though Pittsburgh won last week, that was a negative spot for Pittsburgh. So they're going to be coming in on a better note this week. And the reason last week was a flat spot is you go back two weeks ago, they played Cleveland at home. That was Big Ben's return. A lot of emotion, a lot of, you know. Now I understand. Then they went on the road to play at Miami. Playing for a team, you know, north, a northern team playing in Miami with the Heat and the Steeler team had to play in their black jerseys in that Heat. Flat spot looking ahead to this week. So the fact they won by one and didn't cover, a lot of people lost money, going to be down on the Steelers. You think that the factors made it where that performance was probably a good performance? That performance come out the way it did. They played the way I thought. They came out, fumbled the first two possessions. It was a flat spot, and that's the way they played. But at the end, they made the plays they need to play to win. And moving into this week, you know, it's a better situation. But on the flip side, New Orleans, you know, we talk a lot of times about Dr. Jekyll, Mr. High Teams. This team here, how can, you know, they go two weeks in a row where they play a great game at Tampa Bay two weeks ago, then last week, just an ugly performance against the same Cleveland Browns that the Steelers just beat. Okay, so your point on New Orleans is we've got a hot and cold team, which is unless you can identify what causes that hot and cold, they're hard to handicap. Okay, now here's the thing about the Saints. The Saints are 12-3 and ATS off a loss. So with a good coach, and Payton's a good coach, is they seem to turn it around when they do underperform. So that, that would give a little mark on the New Orleans side. I'm actually inclined to, and I'm going to give the projection on this game, I have a, the slightest lean to Pittsburgh. I actually thought, you know, coming into the year, you would have never thought, you know, the Saints were um, one of the Super Bowl favorites. Pittsburgh was 22-1 to 1 entering the season. And I actually, and I'll give myself a little tout right now, when I was on first take on ESPN, they asked me for a Super Bowl long shot. I gave the Steelers. And my point was, this was a team that Vegas believed to be the best team in football last year, pretty much throughout the whole year. Breaks didn't go their way. Troy got hurt, the whole thing. And I think this year, once Big Ben came back, they were going to be pretty much the same team. And I think we've seen that be the case. And I, I think that their consistency is really stunning. And this is a point I've made a couple of times. I'm going to make it one more time, and I'll probably keep making it until it's not the case. All of last year and all of this year, so we're looking at, what, 16 games last year, or what, six games they've played mm -hmm. this year? So we're looking at 22 games. There's only been one game they've been down by more than a touchdown at any point in the game, and it was the Browns last year. So literally they've been within a score of the lead or a tie every second of every game except one. Now, there's no team in football that's that, – it's not that they haven't been beat by more than seven. They haven't ever been down by more than seven. This is a team that fundamentally their defense is so good. And when Big Ben is playing, the, the, the offense is so capable – that they really are a great team, and now their special teams is taken care of. I, personally, I think they're the best team in football. But now are they three points better because a pick them or so is what the line is. And New Orleans has one of the best home fields. You know, so I don't want to bet against the best team in football, but New Orleans has one of the best home fields. They're, if they're ever going to make it come together, it's going to be on this national televised game. I think the line might be about right 
with, with the slightest edge to the Steelers. Public perception right now, the line is right. I mean, at the beginning of the season, this game, uh, you know, I don't have... It would be four, four and a half. I was going to say three and a half, four uh, for sure. But this is nothing new for a Super Bowl team. This happens so often that when you is have... Is it the Super Bowl team or is it the team that loses? A, isn't the, the cliche is the team that loses a Super Bowl <clears throat> does poorly. The Super Bowl winner does poorly as well, too, unless it's one of these established teams that's perennially there. But when you get these teams that just jump out of nowhere and you know make their run to the Super Bowl, it's tough for them to keep that same intensity the whole year. But what you do find is when you get games like this, and we talk, we talk about marquee, this is as marquee as it gets. It's Sunday night football, and it's against one of the most you know, storied franchises in, in football. And we talk about it, you know, a great stat that you said with the Steelers, another great stat, the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the best traveling teams. In you mean with the, the fan base? With the fan base. They're, all across the country, doesn't matter what city you go to, there are Pittsburgh Steeler clubs that you well, can go yeah, to. But I, the thing that makes me think that's not going to be so prevalent this t- uh, game is that you've got to be able to buy tickets. So when there's a place that doesn't usually sell out or season ticket holders will take double face, like you'll see like Washington a couple years ago on Monday Night Football, Steelers came and had half the stadium because Washington wasn't really enthused. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, it wasn't that much of a travel. New Orleans is a, a further travel, too. Their fans are rabid. And, you know, I'm not so sure you're going to – you're not going to see a, a quarter of the stadium with terrible towels, I don't think. But, but you do make a good point. They're a good road team. The question is how much of it is their ability to travel fan base-wise, and will that be negated this week? Well, there's definitely talk about venues. You know, we talked earlier about Minnesota venue with being in the Metrodome. Playing in, you know, New Orleans in the Dome, that crowd, it's always crazy. And let's face it, it's Halloween night. They're going to be partying even more. You know, it's going to be a, just a rabid crowd. Uh, it's going to be a tough game for the Steelers. All right. So a couple other points that, that speak against the Saints is they've played against a rookie quarterback three times this year. So already, I mean, if there's ever a spot in the NFL, especially if it's not some super uh, performing rookie, which lately there's been a few, but these have been three rookies, none of them very impressive, and they're one and two. Mm-hmm. So it's not even as if they've had a tough schedule. Except for the Tampa Bay blowout, in which they played really well, they've been outscored by 26 points in the rest of their games in net. Mm-hmm. So you take away one good performance, and this is a team that's almost four touchdowns down against their opponents this year, and it hasn't been that tough of a schedule. So uh, so to me, it's like it's almost as if the Saints, every week it's like, well, they're going to turn it on, they're going to turn it on. If the Saints had lost to the Vikings in the championship game, which they could have easily last year, how much differently w- would we be looking at this team? It'd be a team that went to the championship game, lost at home, and now they're g- getting outscored by four touchdowns except for one game. Wouldn't it almost be like they'd be an average team? How much premium is still on the Saints team just because of the fact that they, the Brett Favre threw that late interception? Uh, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the public perception is really dissipating over what they've done the last couple of weeks. Except the Steelers, you know, the Steelers are the type of team. Well, let's look at it. They were laying three to Miami. What's Miami New Orleans on a neutral right now? New Orleans is about the, three, right? Right. So it seems like that the, 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 
the bandwagon hasn't been jumped off of yet because, I mean, there's not many teams in football the Saints are going to be uh, not a favorite to at home, Pittsburgh being one of them. Right. The other thing that, you know, if you want to talk about public perception, even though Pittsburgh won last week, there are going to be people that are going to look at that game that saw that last play, the highlight, and say the Steelers caught a break because the referee didn't see who grabbed the ball. Or if he would have went another two inches, they would have covered. So there's a lot of ways to <laughs> look true. at that. One other point that I will bring up, whether New Orleans is you know underperforming or not this year, the fact remains this will be the best quarterback that the Steelers have faced so far this year. Maybe the best quarterback in football. All right. So, and, and I, would, I would agree with what you're saying, is if there's one thing as an avid Steeler fan that causes me pause, is the Steelers can stop the run against anyone, a really good passing team that commits to it. And that's what's funny is against the San Diegos of the world, the Steelers have always done well, they try to run, and the Saints are the team that just will not run. Mm-hmm. It, they'll accept not running, and, and I'm wondering on turf, and that's not, you know, that, that, that fast track of the dome. The Steelers' D-backs, I think, are improved. But it probably is not a matchup I love with them because of that. And you bring up a good point. We're going to do a coupon uh, real quick, though. What's the Reggie Bush factor? I see he's now probable. I mean, he can't be 100%. How, how much do you adjust for him? You know, he definitely helps New Orleans, but he's not going to be 100% if he does come back in Boy, if I'm Reggie Bush, this is not the defense I want to come back and face after an injury because you're going to take a physical pounding if they run the ball with him. I, Reggie Bush never showed me a lot of heart. Uh, Give us the coupon for this. The way. coupon NBA is underway, so you know, in celebration of the NBA underway, so you can be playing every day, guys. NBA ten coupon the word NBA number ten and you'll get ten dollars off. Just use it when you go to the shopping cart. Enter it in the coupon code. $10 off your purchase. Now, this is a, uh, my official projection is the Steelers winning by one. But I got to tell you, I think this is a game. Uh, what were you saying, Dustin? Oh, I thought you were saying something. Is uh, winning by one. And, but to be honest, this is one of those games I think the line's right. Is at three, I would love, at, at, at plus three, I would love the Steelers. At minus three, I would love the Saints. And, and uh, you know, either team getting three maybe is the way to say I would take here. I pick them, I think the line's about right, and it might just be one to watch. Might be, or with that stat you gave earlier, uh, RJ, this might be a team to look at, you know, with the Steelers. If, if the game's a pick them and you can get the Steelers in seven on a teaser, they have You know, you make a great point there, actually, and especially if this game, and, and again, six-point teasers are the most common. You always want to tease through three and seven. If you can, in the NFL, you get great value. If New Orleans gets to one and a half anywhere, you can tease that up to Steelers plus seven and a half. That would be a play I'd be excited about, and I'd be teasing up through three and seven. That's a great point. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking about our last game of the week, Monday Night Football. Texans at Colts, Monday Night Football. Marco, what you better be looking at? Well, anybody that watched the first meeting this year, and it was a nationally televised game opening Sunday, they saw that the Colts totally outgained Houston in this first meeting but lost. So I think the public is going to expect Peyton Manning, there's no way he's going to lose two times in the same year, 
to the Houston. So Texans. we got the revenge factor, especially against a team that uh, you know the Colts had dominated. And but here's the thing: with that expectation, it seems to me the line is perhaps a little short. The line is definitely short. If you just go from week one, RJ, and do the natural flip for home field, we say it's three points as the starting point. This game should be seven. Okay, because the Colts were minus one, and now the line's only four points different. Instead of the six-point switch that would take us to Colts seven, there's been a two- or a four-point switch, which means that they're saying that Houston is a net two points better now over the Colts than they were in week one. Now, in your power rankings, how has the relative stock of these teams changed? There's definitely a little bit of a drop because of the Colts with the injury to Dallas Clark. But Houston, to me, was a team that everybody talked about was one of the dark horses possibly this year. And they did beat them in that first game. But since then, they have not gone up the ladder. So you're saying Colts are down a little bit? Right. And you're saying Houston is at least down the same amount, if not a little bit more, in your power rankings. Right, because their defense has gotten them into trouble you know, many times this year. And their last game that they won, and by the way, both teams are coming off a bye, so a lot of preparation time. And if you've got two weeks to prepare, I think that's a much bigger edge for a guy like Peyton Manning, who's a guy that's in the film room all the time as it is to begin with, given two weeks. Uh, they're going to be ready for this game. That is one edge to them. Okay, so what you're saying is that, that the Colts at five look really juicy, which usually if it's a juicy hamburger or something, you're on it. But if it's a, but if it's a juicy pick, what do you do? Now, this is a situation that this falls into the trap category for me. The public is going to look, and this is a, you know, a second meeting, they're going to look at that first game and say the Colts really outplayed them but lost. A couple turnovers, situation, uh, 463 yardage to 355 in that game. Okay, so I think we're repeating ourselves. So I think you laid the, did very well laying out the groundwork here that all everything together makes it where the Colts probably should be laying seven. They're laying five, which makes it juicy for the public. And how do you, what do you do in those spots? I go with what I think Vegas is trying to entice you to do. Is play the Colts. Is play the Colts. I go the opposite. And that means I'm going to side to the Houston Texans plus the points here because getting Peyton Manning on, again, we talk about this a primetime game, so you've got more people playing, which automatically is going to just get some bets on Peyton because of the, yeah, the big, So the, the bigger the betting pool, the more public the betting pool, and the betting pool is a lot of these guys might not even really know about these injuries and all that. They're saying Peyton Manning in prime time against a team he seems to always be with revenge. I'm getting laying less than a touchdown. Yeah. Interesting stat. You know, you've alluded to it already that the Colts dominate Houston. They're 15-2 and two straight up. But they're only 10-7 and seven against the spread. That's a pretty good disparity for you know, a team that you beat all the time that you know, Houston's actually the moneymaker against the spread against. So Houston's 10 wins. So Houston is actually plus money against the Colts against yes. the spread. Interesting. Now, here's my question. Texans also 7 of 8 ATS as a road dog, so they travel well. Here's my question, though. Sometimes bets are just, to me, so obvious. And I think sometimes it's almost like if you flop a full house mm-hmm. and you just should bat. A lot of people get tricky and check mm-hmm. and check, right? But you really, 
poker 101 is you've got a good hand, you bat. To me, it's the same thing with sports batting. If you, if you have an obvious spot, until the lines maker adjusts for it in some extreme way, why not bat it? And to me, I looked at the fade in the Cowboys the last couple of weeks. This is a team that's just proven itself not to be a very good team, laying three and a half you know, last week to, to the Giants, who some people think is the best team in the NFC. You know? So 10 of 11 games between the Colts and the Texans have gone over. You got Manning, you got Schaub, is that how you yeah. say the name? And 10 of 11 have gone over. Why not just play the over? What's the total? Total on this game is 49 and a half. And uh, Monday Night Football this year, pretty much they've all been overs. I mean, I guess the question is, is has it been adjusted enough that, that, the, over, that the, oh, the value isn't there? I don't really think so, though that's a high number. Maybe it's just that simple. It's these two teams can't stop each other. And if one team gets down, the other one's going to, you know, by 21, the other one's going to be able to score late. Why not just go over? You know? So I will throw out a number for you, and I actually did a blog on it this week. You can check it out at Pregame Blogs about last week's over-unders, and it's going to be something that's worth watching. Since we had the rule change about the, you know, the hard hits, um, last week 10 of 14 games went over the total. And you they, make went a, way, they went way over the total. You make a good point. This was, I saw this stat on TV. This was the second highest scoring week in the history of football or since 1980 or whatever. So I think that it's a combination of a couple hits that the defenses aren't laying, but also the fact they're, they're in their own heads thinking about it, which is making them maybe a quarter step slow in a couple spots. Right. In, in the perfect plays that that comes across is those plays across the middle where you're lining the guy up to lay him out. If you're hesitating now, the receiver's catching that ball. He can make one little half spin move and turn a seven- or nine-yard pass play into a 30-yard So, game. unfortunately, we're talking about this in the last video of the week, but a lot of people actually watch them all before the weekend. You're going to be looking towards the over? It's a, in, it's a pattern. I'm going to be very cautious in taking unders in the NFL for the next couple of weeks. And I thought you did a good job on that and on your Twitter. You've got Marco in Vegas is your Twitter handle, and mine is RJ in Vegas, and we both put out some good stuff. Okay, so what's your official projection? I'm going to have Indy winning this game, but I think this is going to be a shootout. Go down to the final possession. I have Indy 27-24, so I'm going to grab the points with the Houston Texans. All right, good stuff. Real quick, I'll give you 90 seconds on this. Second matchup of the year here, one of the first second matchups this football, this NFL season. What are the one or two key factors you look at in a second matchup? Well, we actually already talked about it, but I look at what the line was in the first meeting. So the, the relative adjustment home and away of the line, and is it In warranted? regards to public perception of it. Okay. And when I think that it's off, I am going to look to the other side because I think Vegas is setting you up, especially when the team looks like they can get the revenge. The revenging team, if, it, if the line's short on the revenging team, I'm always going to be looking to that road dog in a second meeting. Okay. All right. Because what you're saying is, is the public believes in revenge and the public believes in taking the attractive number. And when you have a team that's laying an attractive number and has revenge, if it's too attractive, you think it's a trap. Right. And, and you said the statement, we said it, you said it before, Eric. People will look at a guy like Peyton Manning and say in their head, he can't lose to this team twice. And he is great on prime time. <laughs> it, it does scare me. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And that's it for this week. And we're going to be back next week with eight more football games, with eight more free picks, and two more best bets. See you then.